Hey, ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to the Vialucci Podcast. Honest, uncensored, and unedited discussions about life and everything in it. So sit back, relax, and let's start the show. So, Nick, pal, um, there's two major things, and actually, there's a couple, two things I want to say. There's two major things about you is that you founded, co-founded uh, Virgin Records, which is Richard Branson, and for the last 17 years, you've been the director of the National Film and Television Society School. School. Um, last 14 years. 14 years. Okay. And Palace Productions as well. Yeah, so what I was going to say is, what else has gone on along the way? So, you, you, you between doing, so when did you do Palace Productions? What year was that? We did, uh, um, in, uh, <coughs> did Palace uh, in the 80s, and then the Scala 80s. Productions in the 90s, and then the school in the 40s. And when did you co found the Virgin Records? When did that start? Was that, was that? 60, oh. 68, 69. So it was around that long? Oh, okay. So what was the impetus behind uh, Mail Order Records? I mean, did you see that was just the way things were going, or was it just simply easier? Uh, it was a combination of things. One was we were looking, we were doing a magazine for students. Uh, it was the first magazine kind of for all students at uh, universities. Uh, at that point, it had started out just for the, for the sixth form schools, but um, when I got involved, it... It was uh, um, <coughs> a magazine called Student, aimed at uh, university students up and down the country. Uh, one of the, we were looking for, you know, extra ways we could use it. And, and one of those was to start a mail order record company. And the impetus for that was that a thing called resale price maintenance had been abolished. Mm -hmm. In other words, you had to sell records, books, and something else at the publisher prices. You couldn't discount or, mm. or sell them cheaper, and that got abolished. So that gave us the opportunity to be the first people to go in and, and sell records for cheaper than the record companies list prices i see so you were where were you getting your records from they were you were just collecting them all on your own or were you going by what you knew the general uh, taste was uh well we could we didn't we didn't need to in a way forecast the taste because we would uh, uh we would list records in the in the mail mail order i mean a, sure. a bit like an algorithm today <laughs> like this <laughs> yeah, you list yeah, all so, the main so artist records online, that are coming out shopping, that week yeah. and then yeah. uh, you get your orders and then the ones that you get to be obviously then you order the stock to 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 fulfill the orders but we focused on you know also of course in the late 60s uh you know, the album was had become the big thing sure. and taken over from the hit single. So we focused basically on on artists who whose main work came through the LP right. and through albums, and uh, and that's what we offered. And then we found from the people who were uh, we got in correspondence with. You know, everybody thinks the internet is a new thing, but using the old-fashioned things sure. we're communicating with our customers and they would say oh well such and such a record's not available in the uk but we heard it's available in japan or right. greece or you know united states and we would import those and and also sell those so we had a reputation you know a bit like an amazon in a way but on a yeah. tiny micro scale that we would get anything 
any record for anybody that was available anywhere and uh, and um, and send it to them. I mean, obviously, it could take time if we had to import them. Right. Uh, so we got a reputation quite quickly, not only for for being cheaper, and and what we found was that the 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 our uh, you know our magazine student magazine was monthly. It took a long time to publish. It had you know long copy dates, so we were never completely. Uh, up to date, so we decided to take a advert in. I can't remember whether it's New Musical Express or Melody Maker, and uh, you know which we could do weekly. And when we took the first one of those, it was we got a massive response and yeah. thousands sure. of orders. And uh, so we were, you know, off and running, and you know, doing really well. Thank you. And uh, and then there was a mail order strike, <laughs> not a mail order strike, a mail strike. Mail strike, sure. So the post office uh, went on strike. So suddenly there's no money coming in, right? right because yeah. all the money came as checks, postal orders, cash, in envelopes through the door. Yeah. yeah. Just, Thank you very much, customers. Yeah. And uh, so we had to open a shop. Ah, oh, right. You know, to to survive. Where basically. was this? And uh, we found uh, some premises above a uh, above a shoe shop in Oxford Street. Uh, the the person selling shoes had a spare floor upstairs okay. that they didn't want, so we moved into that, and then we painted the whole of the front building in a sort of striped hippie kind of way. And I bet uh, that helped the shoe sales. And we That's installed. Amazing. You know, we we decided then again people used to listen to records in box kind of those boxes sure. right. and you know we introduced headphones and anybody okay. was allowed to listen to anything right. and they didn't have to buy it which mm-hmm. wasn't great business <laughs> but uh, we introduced like water beds so they could listen in yeah. comfort no really we sold yeah. smoking devices <laughs> yeah. and uh, other accessories <laughs> and uh, uh and um for a short time, we were even even selling some, uh, you know, what were called bootlegs then. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, Led Zeppelin live at Bass, but a few visitors from their manager and stuff put a stop to that quite quickly. Sure. <laughs> and, uh, and this is just you and Richard doing this at the time? Yeah. There was, there's only two co-founders of Virgin yeah. Records. Yeah. Oh, okay. And then, uh, and that then led on to uh, starting a recording studio. Uh, we decided we had read about Muscle Shoals and other out of metropolitan area studios in the countryside, right. and we decided to do a Brit version of that. So we, which also tied in with the fact, wouldn't it be nice to have a manor house? <laughs> yeah. So uh, we were able to, you know, to get a, a mortgage for the manor house to buy a manor, and we installed a student in, uh, installed a studio in that. Um, and that, of course, uh, meant that we had musicians and uh, bands coming coming through the studio there. And then in one of those bands, uh, Kevin Ayer's band, there was a bass player called Mike Oldfield, and uh-huh. he had done a demo, uh-huh. which he gave to Richard. And then, uh, and we had by that time decided to start a label, but we didn't know what with. And right. we had Simon Draper had joined us as the co-founder of the label. And uh, between him and Richard and us, we decided to make this demo our first uh, record oh, uh, right. as a as a record producer, as a record company. And then we, you know, duplicated a contract from Island Records because we didn't want to use a lawyer, and <laughs> crossed out Island Records. <laughs> put Virgin. You hear that, folks? You're just you know, how easy it is. Cross, 
crossed exactly. out the word, crossed out the word mm-hmm. Bob. I know Bob only wasn't right. around then, but uh, right. uh, crossed out that and did a did a contract with, for Mike, and then that we put that out. And again, we wanted to do start with something a little bit different, so this was quite different from anything else in the marketplace because it was two sides of an album with no lyrics at all and not even broken up into right. into song style, you know, length tracks. Is this tubular uh, bells? Yeah. Yeah. So this was tubular bells, yeah. yeah. So we that must have been quite risky at the out. time with the alarm bells not well, going off. Like, what made you get to everything? That? Everything <laughs> was, you know, the philosophy was to, to, you know, take risks but try, you know, and cover, you know, cover our asses as much as we could. So you know, when Mike bought us the demo, we gave him the downtime at the Manor Studios so he could record it. So sure. it didn't cost cash yeah. on too much cash to everybody. Um, we had record shops, so even if not another retailer bought them, they would at least be stocked in however many record shops we had at the time, probably 20 or so. That many? Up and down the country, up and down the country. Had you always So everything evolved from the last thing organically, almost in a way. Well, I was going to ask if that was, had that been your intention from the start to expand, or were opportunities just presenting themselves and you guys were jumping on them? You say it, it developed organically, but... From the time you started the, the mail order, were you thinking rec- recording studio and, and, and I don't think pro- so, producing? I think, you know, when you start something, you, you if you're an entrepreneur, you're always looking for, for ways to expand it. Right, yeah. uh, but, of course, you don't know at the beginning how that expansion is going to take place. And with right. the mail order, we didn't know there'd be a mail strike. But, but when there was, the we were... by We... Uh, had to start a record right. shop. Once we had record shops, you know, we thought, um, uh, you know, maybe we should get involved in the in the in the manufacturing side and in the producing side. And we started the studio, and you know, that led to the record company. So it's a, it it's a, I think if you, when you start something, you you're going to always, mm. you know, and it depends on the thing, but. But you're looking to expand, and I don't think Richard, you know, had uh, any any other. Um, I don't think he knew any other words actually. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he knew what the opposite of expand was. Right. The word contract was right. probably accepting contracting artists. And were there any uh, obstacles you ran into that or regrets that you had that you wish maybe we hadn't uh, gone in the, into that route? Uh, I'm not a, not a person for regrets. I mean, right. I'm sure we made, you know, plentiful mistakes. But if you ask me to name one, you know, the, the memory's really good at deleting, you know, right, yeah. unwanted <laughs> memories. Yeah. How did you meet Richard then? Were you friends? We, we grew up together in the same village. So we were friends oh, from the age of four or five. Oh, okay. Which village was that? So the village called Shamley Green in Surrey. Oh, in Surrey. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we were... Um, so, yeah, no, it, it, of course, the biggest uh, difficulty for any growing business is cash flow. Sure. But the brilliant thing, um, you know, so student, the cash flow was difficult, but with the record mail order uh, and the shops, you know, we got the cash before we had to pay the suppliers. Mm-hmm. So that was quite nice. Like need cash. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, then we, uh, uh, but obviously, um we were very fortunate that Tubular Bells was a huge hit, so that brought in immediate cash. Yeah. But the biggest, uh, yeah, the biggest um, thing for most businesses, maybe not today, less so, people seem, but in those days, very few venture capitalists and cash flow, you know, was the biggest thing. But we were very fortunate because we were in, 
in in areas that uh, that generated cash, like shops and mail order and, yeah. and so on. Did you receive any investment at all, like from the root to fruit sort of thing? Uh, no, we like we existed on uh, <coughs> you know on the on the um, famous. They had these things called overdrafts in those days. Oh right, okay, yeah, which were really like useful. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so it was. Uh, uh, we we'd early on moved the account uh, to Coots Bank because we discovered in those days that if you you know when you went to shops you didn't have like bank cards and so right. on. So. You know, when you bought something, you know, above five pounds or something, they would actually ring your bank and ask if you had the cash, which is, you know, not very convenient. (laughs) And uh, so then we saw someone come in to a shop and they and he wanted to buy something expensive and he pulled out his coots checkbook and the the shopkeeper went, oh, that's okay. So no, we don't need to cause coots. So so we immediately opened that account. Right. Ah, Very good. uh, but no, it was uh, it was um, you know those are, those are the challenges, and we were lucky to to kick off with a with a hit, a very big hit. And the next piece of good fortune was that uh, American director called William Friedkin, yep. uh, who was making a film called Exist at the time, heard Tubular Bells, which was already a, a top ten hit in the UK, mm-hmm. and wanted to use it for The Exorcist. So suddenly we had a number one record, not just in the UK and some other countries, but uh, we also had a number one in America. So that really, you know, powered right, yeah. Uh, yeah. Virgin Sure. That was, that was the first album. Uh, I can't remember if it was a single album I ever bought. That was that. Was it really? Yeah, that was, the first that was in the States growing up as a, as a child because I was like seven, six or seven when Exorcist came out. That became the sort of the Halloween album that everybody had. Everybody oh, yeah. had a copy of that hidden somewhere. And if you wanted to really freak people out at some point, <laughs> And at a party, you put that on, and everybody immediately made the connection with The Exorcist. They either stayed or they left. I was just speaking with somebody two days ago. I was saying how, years ago, I was saying they should do more horror in the theater, and Exorcist would be a good play. And everyone was, I'm talking about 10 years ago. It's on now in Leicester Square or Shaftesbury Avenue. Exorcist, the theater play. Oh, it's a live play. Yeah, it's it's just a live performance. Yeah. Apparently, they were doing it up north. And then it worked, and now yeah. they brought it back down here. So if you go to YouTube, you can Google the trailer. Oh, really cool. I thought that's my oh, are idea. They, are they using the same music? Are they using two? Oh, I have no idea. They? they would um, have to. It wouldn't almost. The two are so connected, like like the Sting and its and, and its uh, theme song. You know, there's there comes that time when the theme song and the film are so inter, intertwined. Yeah. I was. I would almost feel worried that uh, for Oldfield that he might have been pigeonholed into just yeah, that, right. you know, be on, uh, being only known for that. But no, obviously it worked out well for him. But that was, it was unique in that um, the theme song itself being just the, the music was so effective and, and blended so perfectly yeah. with the suspense. Well, there's no real... There's... For this day, to this day, you play that, it will scare someone. Yeah, who, who else was, has that... Really, really unique, unique thing. I'm not talking about different types of pop star like Enya. Do you remember Enya? Yeah, that was a weird sound. Yes. Like that didn't seem to be from anywhere. <laughs> it just came out of the blue. But you know what? You would actually, unfortunately, in the states, how 
whether really negatively affected her career or not, Buick started using that same style of music to sell their cars, oh, really? their car ads. <laughs> and it was unfortunately mistakenly believed right. that she had sold out and, and yeah. recorded for uh, Buick, but she had not. But after that, at least in the States, every time you heard an Enya song, you right. start, thought it was a Buick commercial. I was re- uh, listening to the podcast a while ago, and they were talking about in America now, it's getting quite big, where they're getting people that sound like Oh, yeah, they've been stars, doing that for a while now. And the big one's Morgan Freeman, yeah. where a big car company got in trouble yeah. because they were using a guy who you'd go, oh, that's Morgan Freeman's voice. No, no, and they go, no. But, and but then, they sued someone for doing yeah, that. Yeah, because what happened, yeah. they, they used his, uh, the voice on a political party yeah. thing yeah. and say well, that's not my voice they go well we never said that was uh, his uh, Morgan Freeman's voice they go well hang on you can't but then what do you do you can't really you know, say it's because you can't it copyright a- you no, but if if you have misled the public into believing that <coughs> yeah, just that was no, because you didn't by by simply withholding the fact that it's not that person that's right. that celebrity voice impersonated, right? Then you've crossed the line there. So if I was doing an imp- an advert for this <laughs> and you heard Arnold Schwarzenegger's voice, yeah. but I never referred to it, that's right. That's still legal. No. But then what if it was sort of just it, a German accent? It, 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 to be honest, uh, it's not my area, but uh, it's just a question of whether you're intentionally trying uh, to pass but- yourself <laughs> off as, and the, it would be a decision for the court to make as to whether you were it or weren't It will come down it. to a person saying, mm-hmm. well, I think... But then there's no pretty. No, no. So whether you normally you do have to name if right. you just imitate someone. Yeah. Normally you'd but be if fine. you're trying to get away with it and you do like a, a Mercedes advert mm. and you yeah. use a voice, that's a German voice, but you happen to think for some, whatever reason that's Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. What do they say? Well, unless no, somebody no, says it wouldn't, it would, it would not. Uh, you, they wouldn't be able to sue you for it. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's still... It's only if it's clearly... uh, (laughs) You use a catchphrase or something. There's some kind of connection. Clearly, Yeah, 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 absolutely. (laughs) So when you you decided to leave uh, Virgin... Mm -hmm. um, How many years in is it before you decided to leave? I was uh, there from the late 60s to 81. So 20 years. Okay, so what happened? No, no, that's like 10, 12. 12 years. Yeah. Oh, okay. So what happened? So you decided to branch out in new new areas or you had just simply had enough with what you were doing with them? I, uh, yes, I, I wanted to, uh, I was a bit, um, I'm not sure what the, how quite how to put it. There's a great line in a, I can never remember the name of the movie, but it's a movie about the English rock band and uh, sort of touring America and again, new American manager and it's like set in the 70s. It's not the Rob Reiner one, it's the other one. Right. And uh, and the the drummer says to the to the new New York manager, so what are you going to do You know, in the long term about our future when we're in our 60s? And he goes, you think Rick Jagger's still going to be rock and rolling when he hits 60? <laughs> 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 and my sort of uh, feeling, I wanted to get into uh, what I call three-dimensional mm-hmm. um activity which you know film video etc are as opposed to two-dimensional one of right. music uh there were a lot of technological changes that were you know coming down the line sure that were going to hugely impact on 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 the visual moving image businesses so of which of course the main one uh that uh, forgotten now because it doesn't feel at all revolutionary but was video yeah. You know, up until consumer video came in, uh, the only way you could watch films, uh, 
you know, was to wait for them to appear on TV once they'd been on in the cinema. And what uh, video did was actually, funnily enough, enable people to watch what they wanted to watch when they wanted to watch it. So that's not an invention of the internet. That was yeah. the invention sure. of, of, of the humble video cassette. And uh, so that was coming down the line. And also satellite was coming down the line. I was right. the first person I imported these huge satellite dishes and sold them to rich people, yeah. even though you could only get Russian ice hockey on them as far as I could make out. <laughs> <laughs> but they look good in people's gardens. Yeah, and, uh, and, um, but, of course, that, uh, that was just the, 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 the opening of the wedge. Sure. And, and once satellite transmission uh, became... Um, a reality later on so there was these things that were hugely changing right the moving image uh businesses and so i thought uh, uh, and when i looked at film business it seemed like really old-fashioned like producers even young producers still wore suits and ties right yeah and uh they um uh you know, it seemed like a, a, a business in the early 80s, which, you know, could do with a little bit more rock and roll approach. Mm -hmm. So when I came into it, I came in uh, to do that. And I started with video shops again, like record shops with Virgin. And uh, I um, and then we realized uh, that in order and we started a video distribution company. But to get the rights for video, we had to take the cinema rights and I did have a small interest in a cinema with Stephen Woolley. Uh, so Stephen Woolley became my partner. And together we, we started, we'd already started video shops and, and uh, video distribution company. But Are we you? started a theatrical distribution company, a distribution to cinema company. And our first two films, again, were, were, were big hits. We signed a, a little film tiny low-budget film called Evil Dead. Oh, Evil Dead! Oh, so great. great film. Fantastic. So Definitely applauding. <laughs> that generated even more court cases against it than yeah. Never Mind the Bollocks did when I yeah. was at Virgin. And uh, What was the court cases? About what? Seen Publications Act, too much violence. But yeah. I managed right. to People believe there was persuade, yeah, I managed to persuade the... the uh, public prosecutor to concentrate... There were court cases up and down the country like as i say yeah. 70 or 80 of them and so look can we just have one mm. and he said uh, yeah no that's great and i said let's do it in the east end that's like convenient i'm thinking in my head that all these our jury is likely to have seen the film already sure <laughs> yeah. so i tried to choose a place <laughs> yeah, where i thought yeah. i'd be like big evil dead fans mm -hmm. and then the judge uh, quit the case started the judge went off to see the film and he came back and asked the public prosecutors to to drop the case sure uh, so that was the number one best renting video of the year. So again, it was great to, and we also signed another little film, which was called Diva, French film. And that was like the biggest art movie of the year. Okay. Uh, really, again, a, a, a terrifically fun movie, not a, like a heavyweight art movie. And this really is Palace. Movie. This is that. This is Palace, now. Okay. yeah. And Palace. are you still connected to Virgin this time? No. Oh, so you'd cut, you'd cut, yeah. cut your losses. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah, we started, and then and then we, you know, met the producers of all these great films. We signed the first Coen Brothers films. We did Stephen Frears early oh. films. He's all his distributor, and we, you know, met the producers, mm -hmm. and we thought, well, we've met the producers. They don't seem that like bright, so it can't be that hard <laughs> <laughs> to make these films. Did you? So uh, we became producers and uh, started making our own pictures, sure. starting with Neil Jordan's company, A Walls. 
followed yeah. by Mona Lisa and, and other pictures. And crying game and all that. Yeah. So do you have, it seems that you are drawn to the more avant-garde, the, the more, um, the almost, I want to say subversive, but... Uh, the films that the films and the, the music and the the uh, art that seems to uh, no, I would say the opposite in a, in a, in the, what I call the picture business. The you know I, I I'm a kind of populist, uh, much more so than most of the more serious drama producers that mm-hmm. uh, you know I work with. Me and Steve were always populist, but what we're looking for stuff which is, you know, on the surface you know, might not seem attractive, you know, mm-hmm. te- you know, teenage boy on moped rides around Paris loving opera, you know, it's not going to be everybody's well, You must see something there. Kids, kids go into yeah. the wood, you know, and tease it, and trees as well as zombies attack them. Yeah. So, but when, what we look at is, is actually, this is a vastly entertaining film. Oh. This is, people are going to love this. You've just got to get over the hoop of, of, Letting people know that, and uh, and so many people, you know, judge a book by its cover, right? And you, you have to look underneath that. And I think you, you know, at Virgin, of course, uh, we did a, a lot of music, and Simon, who was head of the label, you know, did a lot of very cool avant-garde music. Henry Cow, Hatfield North, uh, uh, but even some like Devo, you know, I essentially saw as you know, should be popular. They were never as popular as I think they should have, could mm-hmm. have been, but uh, not through lack of effort or anything. And uh, so, yeah, it was, it was taking, you know, the thing was to take stuff from the left field that had the potential to break through to a wider audience. That was really always, you know, throughout my career and working very much with other people like Stephen mm-hmm. Woolley and Richard and Simon Draper and people like that was always what sort of drove me is to look for stuff that's, on the left field, but actually, you know, if you bring it into the middle, uh, people are going to discover it and love it and mm-hmm. buy it in vast quantities. Of course, that didn't always happen. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, I was going to say, you seem to be able to define that very well. Um, again, films like The Crying Game, which I, I just couldn't imagine how many other producers, how many other distributors might have passed on it, thinking, oh, the subject matter, eh, I don't think we sell it to middle America. I don't think they'll really sell, you know, in other markets. Um, so when you say you find things that are somewhat left that you can bring to the middle, anything specifically that, that piques well, your interest, that we say, you know what, that actually would work? Well, I think the, the uh, as... You know, Crying Graham, of course, grew out of a long relationship that mm-hmm. uh, myself and even more my partner Stephen Woolley had with the writer-director Neil Jordan. Mm-hmm. So that was part of a continuing, sure. you know, back an artist and uh, uh, process. And um, but it was clear when when we read this uh, Neil's script and and uh, you know as it was developed that there was a a core thing here that could break out man falls in love with a woman who turns out to be a man. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of, people are going to want to see that, you know, I think, personally. But I mean, uh, did you know that? I mean, just saying <laughs> yeah, that, right. I can't imagine <laughs> trying to get that, that, that yeah, greenlit to, to be moved. Yeah. Man falls in love with a woman, mm-hmm, we're with you, who happens to be a man. Oh. <laughs> who he discovers okay. going to be a man. Now, it's, uh, that's sort of been done a few times, but then. at the yeah, time. Yeah. This isn't Victor Victoria, yeah, where man falls in love with a woman pretending to be a man, pretending to be a woman. Yeah. Oh, okay, middle America, yeah. they get yeah. that. That's cute. That's funny. <laughs> no, I think but, if you, if you, it's what I call hitting a nerve. 
And, you know, it's very seldom that you can hit a nerve. But if you do hit a nerve in society, and, you know, that to me felt. But we would have done it because it was Neil's next film, whether Mm -hmm. or not we thought it had a wider or a smaller audience. But, Do you like uh, hitting nerves? Because you seem to have hit a lot of nerves in your career, also, and it's always worked. I also missed a lot of nerves. <laughs> <laughs> have you had any? Because you said you've had the magazine, the uh, the records, and other film production. Did you ever go off anywhere else and it didn't work? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like yeah, what? Yeah. What type of what happened? I can't remember what we'd done. We did. Uh, what industry? Oh, uh, when we were at Virgin, we did a sort of uh, fat some fashion. You know, oh, didn't yeah. work. You know, if you looked at the way me and Richard dressed, you could understand why. <laughs> uh, but um, we, we tried, you know, various associated things right. that, that we had to pull back from. We did the venue club. We had great mm-hmm. artists there from okay. Chuck Berry to yeah. James Brown. It was located in Victoria, which wasn't a great location. Uh, but in the end, we never managed to make it pay. I think we we're the only people in the world who didn't manage to make a bar full every night of a thousand people pay. I'm not quite sure how we managed that, but but it was terrific fun to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in the end, uh, we did recoup our money because it was uh, sold back to rank for for a decent sum. But uh, no, the, you know, when you take risks, uh, there's always stuff that doesn't work. And within the films, of course, there's lots of films that didn't mm-hmm. work with, with the public. Uh, and, um, you know, there are some filmmakers around and indeed recording artists, you know, who pretty much shot it, uh, you know, got a bullseye pretty much every time. I don't think we were in that category, but we, we managed to do it from time to time and, uh, and, and keep on trying to do it because it's really fun to take stuff that's left field it yeah. sort of comes, I remember, back in the, uh, you know, um, uh, early se- late 60s, early 70s, when the first Python uh, broadcasts were made, and there'd be mm-hmm. a small group of us at Sussex University. I was mm-hmm. only there for one term. but And we would go off to the pub, because we didn't have TVs, to watch it. <laughs> and people thought we were mad. There'd be, you know, 10 or 15 <coughs> of us would go and watch and laugh our way through the early Pythons. Sure. And no one else got it. Right. But it was absolutely clear, watching because the group got bigger every week. Right. More people oh, right. joined it. More sure. people suddenly realized, you know, kind of got the humor. And so, you know, it grew, as we know, exponentially. But I do remember sitting in a pub with like five of us, being the only five people who thought Monty Python was funny, <laughs> uh, at least in Brighton. You know, yeah. <laughs> I don't know about the rest of the world. And, uh, you know, that, that uh, again was a. Was, uh, you know, it's a lesson, is is finding things that, you know, actually may take a little bit of work on part of the audience, but uh, will when they make that, will will get a broader appeal and, uh, you know, dig their heels in. I always, uh, uh, I always used to tell this story that, uh, about, um, uh, about signing... Uh, yeah, I was looking, uh, uh, you know, to sign up films for distribution, and um, uh, and uh, you know, so uh, actually, it's too long to tell here. I won't. I, won't, I, won't. I think I, I might give that one a miss. Well, um, is there anything that interests you now? Do you do you, uh, see any producers, directors, writers, or any films that are coming out now that pique your interest, or anything in the works? Well, there there are. Um, there's always, all the time, every year, really cool filmmakers, you know, working, 
across the world. Mm-hmm. I think now that uh, the industry is much more alert to new filmmakers coming through and are much quicker to kind of sign them up and do their, uh, uh, you know, and, and do their films. Um, but, uh, you know, you could see, um, uh, you know, British film, you know, God's Own Country, mm-hmm. you know, really moving love stories set in the Yorkshire Dales, I suppose you call them. Um, and, uh, you know, you, it's... Uh, but right from last night, I saw a Korean film, um, Fortress, big historical epic. Uh, but around the world, there's always interesting work being done, and it's... I'm um, lucky enough to... to Maybe not. Okay. I work hard to search out really yeah. interesting work by people on the basis that they can then be brought to 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 uh, to a larger audience, or if they're non-English speaking, to an English-speaking audience, and and so on. It's rare the year goes by when there's not exciting stuff being made. Do you think um, online industry is affect negatively affecting? Filmmaking is what? Do you think the online industry is negatively affecting filmmaking, keeping people out of cinemas and glued to their computers? Well, the interesting thing is that it's not, is it? Uh, The cinema audience has grown, I think, every year since online came into being. TV actually had a much bigger impact on cinema going in a negative sense. So it hasn't, uh, (coughs) you know, the cinema audience hasn't collapsed. Mm-hmm. You know, the introduction of box sets uh, uh, and um, so on hasn't collapsed. Because, you know, but what I, a lot of stuff in life the new generation thinks is new, but when you think about it, actually it's not new. So, yeah. you know, this ability, as I was saying earlier, you've always been able to see films when you want to see them once they've been released in the cinema, but by going down to your local video store. Mm-hmm. And, Were uh, there ever? It sounds stupid. I wasn't born in '77. Uh, what did you have? Betamax stores? <laughs> no, the, the 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 video stores sold uh, videos both on Betamax and oh, on right. VHS. Oh so right, you could go in there and you'd see Betamax on the wall. You'd see the cover of them yeah, like yeah. a book, right? Okay. And then you'd oh. rent it normally, and then you bring it back. Right. Okay. So you know the the obviously the DVDs and what followed. Video, the VHS was DVDs that went away. There was a tough time gap, but then VO, what we call VOD, which is you, you know, when you when you watch it online yeah. and you pay uh-huh. money, but it's essentially the same thing. What know? happened to you mini discs? Pay money and you get to yeah. watch your film. The mini discs, they came, they were they the new thing. They came and went. They came, but then they were on the desk. Fifty p is twenty five p. But what was what happened there? Did they went? No, no, was there some reason? Did the company... Well, the reason why is the public didn't really see why they needed mini-discs. And when you think about it, apart from the fact they're smaller, what, what was... Yeah, but that... I used to always think, why did that take off and not CDs? Because it's the same thing, just smaller, more or less. No? No, no, CDs took off and yeah. replaced uh, vinyl to a large extent. And uh, and then the mini disc did not take off because people were happy with CDs. So the CD was yeah. before the mini disc, oh, and the mm-hmm. mini disc was trying to shoot its way in. Yeah. yeah. Oh right. Okay. Yeah. Was there any? What was the selling point of the mini disc? I don't think there was one other smaller, less storage space. That's I know easier somebody had to carry. A, a car player mini disc, 
Okay. <laughs> yeah, only had three songs, three yeah. albums. That yeah, was yeah. it. Yeah. So like 15 years ago, she said only had yeah. three songs. Well, that she space could play probably had a lot to do with it. Then, if that's all you could really fit on there, then what's right. the point of having one when you could have a much larger disc yeah. that contains more and could do more with it? Oh, it could contain more, could it? Well, yeah. And so, if, well, larger disc, oh. obviously. You know, oh, many right. discs are going to contain less, have less space. So, what's the point of right, having yeah. okay. something small? Is if it now, if it were able to hold as much, right. it had as much space as a large disc, then maybe. You know, it would have had a chance, but no, it's just smaller. People so. would upgrade for, you know, increased capacity or increased yeah. uh, quality. Right. Yeah. So yeah. a big step up from vinyl to CD. I mean, people have gone back to vinyl because they like the particular sound that, yes, that vinyl definitely. generates. Yeah. And I can understand that since <clears throat> I was brought up in vinyl. But, you know, the, from there was an increase in just pure audio quality. Obviously, when the when the CDs came in, mm-hmm. I've heard they're sure. trying. To, I heard on radio the day they're trying to get CDs to put on the sound. Do they have the to same the... scratchy pop <laughs> sound that? Well, they can just make an acetate, yes. play yes. it, and record yeah, it. Yeah, When I used to um, uh, uh, listen to Top of the Pops when I was a kid, I used to. I mean, how primitive is this? I used to get the tape player. Press record really quietly and put it up against the speaker and tell everyone to shut up yeah. while you record that. Was like, but at the time, it's such a great idea, you know. Because you couldn't plug it into the no, TV. No, so I just had the tape, big tape recorder press up mm. and tell everyone, walk, don't move in the other room. <laughs> I know a guy, and uh, he was so pedantic over his right. He only died about five years ago, but his house was full of records. And his cousin was telling me, he said, you know, when we used to go around his house to listen to his records, like he'd buy, the, everyone got paid, go to the record store, buy records, go home, all your friends would come around, people would see you carrying it on the way home, oh, well, look, go in the house, they'd all have to get off the floor and put, stay on the bed while he played the record in case like something, it jumped or anything, and he said, God forbid his mum walked past. He went, Mom, shut up. Because so he didn't want the record to jump. And he'd yeah. say, he'd go mad because you'd lend him something. If he scratched it, that oh, was it. You, he wouldn't talk to you for three months. And sure. you'd have to deny that you scratched the thing. Yeah, I remember when Quadraphonic Sound came out. And, and, What's that? Oh, because you could play it and you could hear all the all the different instruments and all of like four oh, right. speakers. Okay, yeah. It was Quadraphonic. And it was a real depth, you know. And so someone could have an album. Someone else had the Quadraphonic right. album, which okay. was a step up. And when I was in uni, a friend of mine had um, the, the quadraphonic version of uh, uh, Dark Side of the Moon. And nobody could touch it. And he found out that his roommate in uni had actually been swapping his own record from his own standard Dark Side of the Moon record with his mate's quadraphonic one. And was really playing the quadraphonic <laughs> one. And so one day, the guy who actually owned the record, he, he got curious. Yeah. And he took his... Um, Friends, Dark Side of the Moon record, and he pulled out and realized it was actually his quadraphonic album. <laughs> Not only was in there, but it had a little scratch in it. Oh, so no. he took it out, yeah. picked it up, and he smashed it in half <laughs> on the table in front of all of us. Is this up. the last generation of uh, physical music and all that? Is it all just online now? No, there. I think another vinyl been. thing sort of coming back. Yeah. I think last year vinyl outsold <clears throat> CDs for the first time. Um, oh, did they? Yeah, I think, really I think it was just last year. Yeah. But um, 
Is that it? There's nothing else coming out. That would be it. Would just be online transfers. No, and I audio. think there will always be a, a need for for that for for vinyl and for a hands-on approach to it. I don't think people want to be. My friend, the one that died with all the records. He used to say to me all the time. He said, "There's no theatre around music anymore. Like you'd get the thing, you'd go yes. home, you'd you." He said, "No, it wasn't the last time you saw us only flicking through records. He said, you'd see people in shops just doing that. No, <laughs> they do, they do. <laughs> they still, still do it, shops. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But he, was, he said you'd, mainly yeah. vinyl shops. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. you'd go back, you you open it up, you read." who he was and the band and the thing and whatever it's it's you're involved in the whole process of it that's a big part of life like my problem with like i sound like a luddite sometimes people would have parties so if it was a new record by one of the major artists people would actually throw parties on campus and or you know at home or wherever they were and invite all their mates down and the whole party would be based around whatever the new Stones album was, right. Floyd or who, whatever it yes. was. Were you, and if you were really good friends with the, with the guy, you would bring in a cassette so you could record it oh, first right. yeah. before everybody else borrowed it and it got overused and smashed yeah. and warped. So if you're like a best mate, you get to record that, record the tape of it first. Did you any of your sort of, were, were, with Virgin Records, was it all business or did you have any sort of, musical tastes that you sort of went after to try and shoehorn in or get like were you yeah yeah it? no def- definitely the, the, some of the bands that i mentioned especially with simon draper the head of the label you know he was absolutely passionate about uh you know the the art of popular music if you like so that's why you know henry cow never exactly sold a lot of records mm-hmm. hatfield in the north gong there was a whole um group of artists you know who was unlikely to ever sell a lot of records but uh, were artistically very adventurous and um and virgin put their records out uh you know and supported them uh you know in the in the hope i suspect that one day they would find a bigger audience but so um, were you um with Pal- with the palace productions is that what it was yeah and the national film school but where did they cross over He's still connected to the, the Palace production at all? No, Palace, uh, uh, Palace um, Pictures, Productions, etc. was in the 80s. We, myself and Stephen Woolley started a new company called Scala in the 90s, which just produced, didn't distribute oh, or, okay, or, right. mm-hmm. or do any of the other things. And, we, um, uh, and then that ran into... Uh, uh, ran into... Um, when I was, uh, you know, asked to to run the reboot, really, the National Film and Television School. And I thought, well, that's different. I left school at 16. I don't know. I was going to say. Yeah. I'll show them. I'll go that's back and show them. I discovered I was the only person running a school that didn't yeah. have a degree. <laughs> Did you, do you often tell that to some of the board of directors or, you know, no, other students, by the way, I'll just have you know I left yeah, school yeah. at 16, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I'll be your director. No, they knew. They knew. And uh, the, the, the board took a risk with me, but uh, it worked out very well. And... Um, uh, but yeah, that uh, Scala Productions ran into that. The last film that I made prior to starting at school was a film called Ladies in Lavender with Joe, Judy Dench and Maggie Smith. Sure. I made that for my mother. Did because you? Because she told me at the age uh, when she turned... Ladies like, in Lavender from a couple of years ago? Yeah. From oh, a few, so you were still involved the whole time? Oh, right, okay. Uh, it was... Um, yes, yeah, so my mother, when she turned about... I can't remember if it was the 80th or 85th, but anyway, she said to me... You know, Nick, I'm very proud of the fact that, you know, you've made all these films, but I have to tell you of the ones that I've seen, I don't really like any of them. That's crushing. To, <laughs> yeah, you know. thanks, Ma. Thanks, Ma. But, uh, but I was walking down this, uh, Berwick Street with, and I bumped into Charles Dance, who 
said he had this project. And I said, what is it? And he said, oh, well, you probably won't like it, Nate, because it's just it's about two old ladies. And I went, Charles, you must be joking. Yeah. My mother doesn't like any of my own films. I'm trying to find a film. She said, well, they're probably too old for you. They're like in their 70s. And I said, can you make them older? No, <laughs> yeah, but I didn't say that, no. But uh, he fortunately bought me this great project. And uh, uh, yes, it was... Um, we made the film. I managed to get a royal premiere with the Queen for my mother. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm one of four brothers, That's so I got back into the will. Yes. You know, you like my all. films now, man? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, she loved it. Yeah, yeah right there. And all what? her friends loved it, and I was yeah, like back in her good books. There and why did good. you go for that film? Like, was it was it a book that she liked? Or you no, just I went for it because it was about her uh, generation, sort of thing. It was yeah. her film about two. Two ladies of her generation, okay. one of whom falls, you know, gets a kind of pash on a young person that's All washed right. up on a beach. And, and, yeah. uh, and I thought, yeah, my mum's going to love this. <laughs> and I was right. Yeah. And I thought, Good if idea. my mum loves it, there's probably a zillion other right. people the of her age it. who yeah. are going to love it. And then the Queen would love the it. Queen, the Queen, she said it was test. her, her right, favourite really? film, the Royal Premiere, <laughs> in oh, four wow. years. That's fantastic. So, how do you, right, so I'm coming from a point of ignorance. How do you get a Royal Premiere? What does that mean? You ask for it. There's a there's a royal there's a once a year royal premiere. Normally, I think probably it, it, traditionally with the queen, right. or maybe yes. not any longer with the queen, and you can apply to the palace oh, to okay. have your film considered for that. So we did that. You know, we had Maggie Smith and Judy Dench. So it was a right. kind of a yeah. show sure. in, unless Absolutely. a Hollywood company came in and I don't know offered right. to refurbish yeah. Buckingham Palace oh, or something. Okay. Um, so. No, it was great to, to, to have it. I did contact Buckingham Palace. For what? Trying to get a guest on here. Get the Queen on. I didn't even respond. You never know. Over a couple of years. Well, I was thinking it's, you know, the podcast. You have to go to the, the press office, yeah. Yeah, yeah but the, no, no. But there's response. a special process that, that is handled by the industry. So you apply and they, they look yeah. at the films and they make so a decision. There's no point going knocking on the door. No, they, they actually have protocol. your home movie. Yeah. <laughs> could, nice try. In fact, you should do that. And then I will film what actually happens to you when you attend. <laughs> the final scenes of yes, <laughs> exactly that would work so so, so now you have you sort of um i would say not settled into well yeah okay this role of sort of like elder statesman now at, at the at the school that no no i've stepped down from the school have you yeah yeah and uh i'm uh, you know now back in um uh sort of producing oh, uh, and uh you know i'm going to focus i'm not uh, anymore needing to make like you know, big films and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I will focus on new talent and lower budget films. And obviously, uh, uh, the relationships that I've established over 14 years with the filmmakers coming out yeah. of the school, right. and the talent coming out of the school. <clears throat> and I'm already working with quite a few. Good. I so almost went there, actually. I considered going to the National Film School. <coughs> Nick Bromfield is one of the... Yeah, he is, absolutely. He's one of my yeah. uh, favorite documentary mm. filmmakers. Yeah. yeah. Was, it, was I talking to you about Nick Bromfield? The other, oh, no, he's a director. Oh, the yeah. name, the name's following me around. I'll just... With yeah, another no, director... The Blue doing, Sky. There's a Blue Sky called... Yeah, because what we was trying to do with the social... Co- well, I shouldn't say the name of it. With yeah. what we're filming. Right. He said, oh, this is very much like the Nick guy with the thing and I could, didn't know the name but I yeah. remembered the style no, it was really build. weird yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so when you joined the National School what changed over those years did you try and implement something different was a new thing put into the courses yeah I think uh, when I arrived at the National Film Television School it, you know it had a great rep it had great filmmakers 
uh, go through it from, yeah. from it was one of the younger film schools and it was started in the early 70s whereas in fact all the original film schools were founded by either fascists or communists right like the, mm-hmm. the oldest one's the Moscow one founded by oh, Lenin God. and then Hitler founded one Mussolini founded one etc right. okay uh, and the American one sprung out of universities so uh, yeah when I went there yeah like, like, did lots of change the first thing you know it, is to kind of free up the way that the place works to make sure that when people say, yeah, we're here to support the voices of the, and develop the voices of the filmmakers, that that actually happens in practice. Sure. Because in practice, people say that and it doesn't always happen. To, to free up the whole process and give an ambition to the place and, and, uh, um, and make sure that, that we made films that could get out there and make an impact and get nominated for Oscars. So we got an Oscar nomination for one of our student short films in my first year. Oh, right. Uh, and while I was there, we had uh, five Oscar nominations uh, for student films, but big ones yeah. for short films. Uh, you know, in the last four years I was there, we won a BAFTA short film four years in a row. So, you know, but it was giving confidence, you know, the biggest thing was to give confidence to students and staff and the teachers, you know, that uh, you can do amazing things. And, of course, you know, you still have to abide by health and safety and other laws. But our, beyond, outside of that, it's, a, it's a, the big thing is to, to free everything up and... You know, I gave a sort of instruction that people were not allowed to say no. They were only allowed to say yes, but you have to solve these problems before right. you can do right. it. Yeah. It's very Japanese. The Japanese never say no. Yeah. They say yes, but. But. And that makes Absolutely. perfect sense. Yeah. So, so you're automatic. You know, it's an American can do, yeah. you know, that, that we can do this. And as long as they can solve the problems. And also, you know, give ambition to refocus, obviously, on the story and make sure we get that right. Uh, and also to make it sexy for for students to come to. That's mm-hmm. why awards are important. Yeah. That's right, why yeah. BAFTAs and Oscar noms and European Film Awards, all those things are really, like, important. And the other big thing I did was to get the big filmmakers, you know, coming through the, oh, okay. sure. through the school, you know, not just once or twice a year, but, like, every week. We want to have, oh, really? like, oh, really? major people in there. I mean, uh, you know, so... Uh, you know whether whether it's David Fincher or P.T. Anderson or um, uh, uh, you know Christopher Nolan or you know I wanted the biggest filmmakers. I said if we want to be top film school in the world, we have to have the biggest filmmakers right. and television makers and writers coming through the school every week to talk to every the students. week. Yeah, that's it. And it pretty much uh, achieved that. So that was a big thing because big filmmakers not been there for a while, partly because they didn't have a director. Right. And uh-huh. uh, and once you've gone through, the first big filmmaker I got in was Spike Lee. Oh, great. You know, because you have to be able to tell the others, oh, Nick, no one seems to be in there. I don't want to be like the only one. And then, <laughs> oh, well, we got Spike. Spike came last week and da da da. Right. So by getting those, <laughs> yeah. you know, major Get the wheels turning. filmmakers yeah. and, as I say, writers, of course, and others. How many students do you have at any one time? <coughs> the school is. Um, He's got about 350 full-time students. Full-time. It, it, it spread across a lot of uh, different courses. So the, co- the actual individual courses are really small. It's like eight people in each year for the directing mm-hmm. course, for instance, for the okay. 
documentary and is there course. An age? It's only you... 16 altogether. It's postgraduate. Yeah. Okay. So we take people who've either been to university or, you know, been out in the industry or associated industry like theatre or something uh, and encourage them to apply to school. So they, they come and they're, they're from their early 20s through to their early 30s in the main, but some yeah. are older. Any thoughts, Tom, going back into applying? Oh, it's, well, I've been, I've been gleaning from... So I watch what they produce, you see. I learn from right, watching okay. what others have done. But when I first thought about doing this, was back in the around 2004 when I first arrived here, and I was considering going for uh, an MA or an MFA in documentary filmmaking. So I was just rummaging through you know, all the different ones and then realizing I really don't have a portfolio. I might want to actually work on making one, so I have something to, to bring. Well, see, that's not that. true, because you, you, you might be sitting here thinking, I haven't, where have I seen Tom before? He has been... You have shaken hands with Wonder Woman. You've run down a hill in Transformers. <laughs> right. Yes. Um, I stuck my butt on Renee Zellweger's face. That's it, yeah. That's right. And if you happen that's to be right. going through uh, Heathrow on a Christmas Eve and you see a Santa, that, that's take a yeah, closer look. That's a big moment. Yeah, yeah. Like, Doesn't the, even need to be but it, I does did, he? okay, and I did actually make two documentary films, one okay. of which was accepted at the Cannes Short Corners. So oh, okay. Oh, great. Go. And it's now on permanent loop at the Bletchley Park Cinema. And, oh, right. Because we made a film about uh, the carrier pigeons that delivered yeah, the, yeah, the yeah, yeah. landing right. message. I read about that. I'm sure I read about and, that. And uh, they liked it so much because it was in time for the centenary of Bletchley Park, and they had a celebration in honor of the carrier pigeons and all that. And so film we made was partly for that their centenary and uh, they liked it so much they put it on permanent loop in their cinema that they had and they sent it off to Canada. did you did your uh, mcdonald's it. advert ever take off yeah oh we did i've just done a netflix commercial now as oh well. okay yeah, exactly. and what do you want to can we swear in front of nick can you tell him about what you were doing today I mean, technically, it was about the etymology no, of the audition. word. Yeah, I auditioned for um, uh, part of a caveman. That's why I have a beard for all your listeners out there. That, that's what a beard sounds like. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. And so I had to do a short bit on the etymology of the word fuck. All right. Yeah, apparently, oh, okay. it came about from a caveman trying to make a spear that went wrong. And he and went, fuck it, it didn't yeah, work. <laughs> something along those lines. Yeah, exactly. And what is it? What is, what is the, 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 the abbreviation of F-U-C-K meant to be from? Oh, several of them. Fornication oh, okay. Son of the King, for Unlawful Carnal Knowledge. You can probably pretty much add whatever you like. What was the un- for Unlawful Carnal? Unlawful Carnal Knowledge. What does that mean? <laughs> unlawful Carnal Knowledge means rape. Yeah. I was going to say. Or doing the dirty somehow. Maybe but like it's knowledge. Sodomy the of word some... knowledge throws me off. What? To have knowledge of someone else comes to the Just Bible. Just to do it. Yeah. Oh, uh, okay. to, do it. to know someone and the biblically. One, the king one. If the king uh, consented to your noble marriage, he yeah. gave you permission to procreate and right. have children, and sometimes we get first crack at it if you wanted to. <laughs> that was considered <laughs> a noble thing. Don't you know your English history? Come on. But we have got etymology in the magazine. So, yeah. You should know that. They should teach you that in school. So do you have anything in the works right now, you said? That you're working on? I have, but I, can't, I haven't got anything I can talk about. I hope we get a scoop. Yeah, yeah no such luck. How long are you going to be away for before they call you back to, the ne- to go and do a speech at the National uh, Film School? I'm not sure they'll ever call me back to no? do a speech. Wait, no, I believe we've, it's a great team they've got there, right. and uh, John, the new director, is fantastic. Well, mate, and I'm sure, you know, the, you know I, I made a certain kind of speech when I was there, so I'm sure... Uh, uh, um, you know, uh, I'll be. I'll go back and uh, I already did uh, chaired a session oh, uh, with uh, with a big filmmaker, and um, I'll be pop going back to 
do those kind of things. Make so surprise you, visits, check on things, make sure they're still following your curriculum. And then, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're not slacking off. <laughs> what do you think this is, a record shop? Come on. Yeah. Get I guess 14 years, again. after 14 Hippie. years, you're never really going to be out of the place. You're, you're, you're always going to carry weight with the... I'm a great believer that once you finish, move on. And, uh, oh, okay. and, yeah. uh, and of course, I, 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 you know, I'll be back there. I'm sure I'll be asked to, to do... <clears throat> to host filmmakers and uh, you know I have a contract in fact to host uh, oh, okay. visiting filmmakers and things so I will be back there but I'm not going to be checking on right. changes they've made because you know I might not like them so I'd rather not know <laughs> but I'm sure that what changes they do make will be good and changes are you involved in the business world now or is it just the producing the, the, the films and things I'm just 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 doing the films oh, yeah okay not not doing any uh any ventures i was uh, i did have an idea to start a new university but with uh, but if corbyn is elected then there won't be any fees and my yeah. idea won't work so oh, okay. I, have, I have to wait and see what happens. about film production <laughs> yes. about film production. no no no, no. Oh. just a general new university oh, really? i had actually show now that i remember because i started um hosting short film shows around venues around london and i um Solicited all the film schools, like London Film School mm-hmm. and National Theatre, uh, National Film mm-hmm. and Television School, and all that, for their um, filmmakers to submit films that were between, um, say, one minute, two minute, and three minute films. And some of them did. This is going back now, two thousand and twelve, two thousand thirteen. And so I started showing them at um, three venues in yeah, yeah. around London. And then um, Pinewood Studios started uh, their, oh, had started an online channel of their own. I don't think it really ever took off. And they were looking for 10-minute shows. And I pitched them an idea of showing my short film shows. And they took it. And I produced uh, seven shows with them. Oh, fantastic. Uh, but, yeah, I would have, I found this was... Um, I was so fascinated by filmmaking and, and short, particularly short mm. film filmmakers because that seemed to be the way, way things yeah, yeah. were going and everybody filming off, off their phones and things like that. So, yeah, I found um, I wanted to give uh, filmmakers who had perhaps not yet graduated but still had, uh, pieces, short pieces that, that they had made an opportunity to show theirs. So I do recall getting some submissions from the National Film School. Be unlikely because no. we don't make very many... Films for that, thanks. Only the animation. Students were working on projects, I think, of their own. Oh, okay. Because I I went there to promote what I was doing and contact them. And so I think they put the word out among the students. They they may have their own work, yeah, yeah, that they gave to you for that length. Most of our films are longer than that, even the animations. Yeah. Um, Nick, now you've got to go. So. I just want to, um, this is taken about five months of backwards and forwards. And I, I do want to apologize. Appreci- no, listen, I want to appreciate yeah. you've been gracious the whole way through. I thought at any point <laughs> this guy's going to tell me to get stuff. No, 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 it's no. Just, no. It's, it's never it's working. Just- it's just that uh, uh, I tend to go out of town on Friday evenings, and that's the best time for you to do things. Right, so, it was yeah. where fri- are you living now? Where are you about to live? Well, in? I live in Medivale, but uh, oh, okay. my, my girlfriend lives out in in Oxfordshire. So, oh, and just to finish, weren't you married to the sisters with Richard Branson? Weren't you married I was married to, to uh, uh, I was married myself and Richard married two sisters. Oh, okay. And then I was married to the singer Sandy Shaw. Yeah. And, uh, and this, who is the mother of my of our children? None of my children, of our children, 
and uh, I've now been with my current, I always say with my current girlfriend yeah. for uh, 18 years. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> she's that yeah, current. <laughs> get, keep her on her toes. We've got through the podcast with ask, our asking what Richard Branson was like, so that's another, I was determined not to. That's a whole other podcast. Yeah, I'm going to get <laughs> Anyway, I don't care what Richard Branson is like. I want yeah, to know about yeah, Nick. Yeah. I want to know what, what Nick is like. To meet Nick. Nick. He's Richard nice. Branson's he's last. nice. I'm sure he's lovely. He's nice. Yeah. What else do you he's want? We're nice. not here to talk about him. We're here to talk about Nick. So, well, listen, you um, thank you very thank much. You. Thank you. Thank you. Shadows on the wall And the bartender screams That's cold I'm in the corner With my head in the dream To myself I quietly think So many things to get you off And I cough and I scoff And take another drag of my cigarette And I don't mind If the sun don't shine Cloudy weather suits me fine Pour another glass of wine On the board tonight I think I'll be a superstar